0: Welcome back to 10 and 20, the official podcast of the Battle of Franklin Trust, where we talk about interesting aspects of Tennessee history in about 20 minutes. My name's Sarah,
1: And my name's Brad. This week, we interviewed an author named Kurt Vetter's, who's written a couple of books, and the most recent one is called Freedom Spring. And it's about a young former slave, a young African-American boy who ended up fighting for the United States in the Civil War.
0: Yeah, we sort of talk about how Kurt began writing this story, really the reason behind it, and some of the true history that he puts into it.
1: Yeah, it gets into the story of a couple hundred thousand, nearly 200,000 African Americans who fought for the North in the Civil War. We talk a lot about Tennessee history. We talk about Fort Nagley up in Nashville, which was built by former slaves who escaped to federally occupied areas. So we touched on a whole bunch of different things. You can purchase either of Kurt's books, Confederate Winter or Freedom Spring, from our online store, which is store.boft.org. But I say let's just jump right into our interview.
0: Yes, enjoy.
2: Yeah, Brad, Sarah, I appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation with y'all. Um, it's been a labor of love to write the two books that I have, Confederate Winter and Freedom Spring. Yeah, and
1: yeah. we we definitely enjoyed them both too. Mm-hmm. I would say, in general, I'm not one who really gravitates towards novelizations. I'm usually one who likes to pick up like the big meaty history books, but when I read those, they were, they were to the point, and I thought they were good summaries of the historical facts you're trying to convey.
2: So I thought, I thought they worked on a couple of different
0: levels. No, I agree. I'm not a big historical fiction fan either, but those were good books.
2: Well, and here's what I find, and this is my journey. Uh, first, I'm from North Alabama, but I live in Indiana. My life has revolved around up and down I-65, uh, I was stationed in the Army at uh, Fort Knox and uh, ran tanks. I was an Army captain as a young man there. And I was also a Civil War reenactor in conjunction with my National Guard unit. So the people that I would serve over the weekend running tanks, next weekend we would do a reenactment of the Confederate cavalry regiment. So it was a really unique thing to be an 18, 19, 20-year-old guy before going into active duty and getting my army commission to learn the, I guess the, what it's like to be a soldier and what it's like on the ground to live outside. I, I spent three years in the army uh, living outside for about 300 days a year. It's just who I am. And so as I, when I finally began to have some time, after raising my family and write, that's what I wrote about. And it's always been fascinating for me. The stories of kind of the unsung heroes out there, the privates, the junior officers, the sergeants that make up the armies that create history. You don't get a lot of, uh, luckily in the Civil War, there's a lot of first person narratives from them, but they get overlooked in some of the greater sweeping uh, events of history, but they're the ones that don't make it happen. So I got started on this journey for two reasons. The first was Harry Potter. My kids do not care history. They know none of the three of my kids have a hoop. I started reading about history early and I was having to compete with Harry Potter. And I thought to myself, what am I gonna do? You know, it's it's easy to fix problems with a magic wand, I and mean, not that if they're not it's not great literature. I wanted to try to get him to be a history boss. And I felt like the hardcore history, like you were talking about, Brad, the The things that I enjoyed, the nonfiction parts of history, it just couldn't grab me. So I said, Well, I'm gonna write these family stories I have and I'm gonna make some books that will get twelve year olds interested in history so that someday they do read the big books and they do fight to preserve our battlefields and our history. So that was the purpose.
1: Well, and those I mean, I know I think I speak for Sarah and I both, when I say that the Harry Potter books are ones that really draw you in. And if you yeah. can start reading something, then, then you can graduate and, and go on to something, you know, maybe more fact-based. Yeah. But as yeah. long as you're reading something, it's better than reading nothing.
2: Yes. Exactly. And I felt like, um, you know, for, the, for, for grandparents and parents, as you're looking to get things, you know, a gift for your kids or your grandkids, that this is the, great, the perfect kind of thing to perhaps engage them in a 14-year-old's journey into things that really happen. So as you can tell from the books, I'm, I kind of view it like Forrest Gump. I try to put the characters in situations that really happen, that really could happen. And that that's what I endeavored to do with the books. So they're entertained. They're learning history at the same time.
0: So how much research did you have to do to write Freedom Spring? Because it seemed to be there was a lot of battles that, honestly, I didn't really know about until I read your book.
2: Think about that, guys. So the largest African-American charge in, in, in history, in the history of the United States, happened about an hour or two after Robert E. Lee surrendered on April 9th. And it happened down in southern Alabama, and this charge was successful and there's not really even a monument to it at that at that site so what my purpose when i wrote confederate winter it was really to engage the kids and try to um try to get a good story about the franklin battle which I, my ancestor fought in freedom spring was a different journey and as i wrote confederate winter you know it's it's sad but true There's a lot of stories around this, but uh, let let me start here. Confederate Winter was banned on Amazon for a week because of the word Confederate. I launched that book, which, as you read, is a very, um, it's not a political book. It's a very conciliatory book because his father fought for the North and he fought for the South. But I launched the day of the Charleston shooting. It was a terrible accident. Because of that, I am unfortunately in in the ranks of probably a dozen authors in the United States that have ever been banned. Now, once they reviewed it and found that it was a perfectly acceptable book, it it was reinstated very quickly. But it opened my eyes to the fact that, look, there is a set of stories about African-American soldiers that needs to be told. So I had the good fortune of doing an author talk one time with a lady named Peggy Towns down in Athens, Alabama. I was promoting Confederate Winter. She was promoting her book, Duty Driven. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law live all right off the Blakely battlefield. Happy circumstance. So I'm listening to uh, Peggy Towns do her book talk and what her story is, nonfiction. Her research showed that her ancestor was captured as an American soldier in North Alabama and transported down to Fort Blakely to build the fortifications. Well, I had just been at Blakely three months before and the story there is that slaves built those fortifications. Well, I'm the American Legion post commander in my community and we do a lot of honoring of soldiers that were KIA or POWs in our county. I lead that. So all of a sudden now, I have this story and I have this knowledge that just a few people know that American prisoners of war built those fortifications, not slaves. If you're a young black man down in Mobile, that changes the equation. You own that history. That's part of your history. And then to find that it was the largest charge of African-American soldiers at that same spot. There was a story waiting to happen.
1: Yeah. And, and I would like to talk more about the, the real history behind it too. But before we do that, do you think you could just give us a brief, this was the idea for the book. This is the, this is the idea that it covers.
2: And this is my ideal audience for who should read this book. So I wrote it really for young people. The goal was that uh, both books are about a 14 year old, involved in the war, which was not uncommon back then. So that's, my goal has been to get this in the middle schools and high schools. I've had very good uh, response. I've had uh, kids tell me that they love the book, And I know that I've had people stop, for example, at the Franklin battlefield on their way from, you know, to the beaches in Alabama. They'd stop by there. We'd get people coming in, but I get a ton of adult readers. They love it too. And then, lastly, I just got this letter from a, a lady in, um, I think, in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, or, uh, Tennessee. She bought it for her mom who has Alzheimer's, and the caregiver read Confederate Winter to her mom, and she can't remember her own kids' names, but she could remember all the characters in Confederate Winter. She loved it. So, I, you know, now Freedom Spring is the same same market, but I feel like that will be something that. In the African American community, perhaps might have a little more traction. They reviewed it and it is now stocked at the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute. I just met this week with the Memphis uh, Civil Rights Institute. They're very excited about it. There's not much literature in that period of time. So, especially in the Western front, not a lot of uh, literature out there. I
1: thought it was, I thought it was interesting in the book that the main character spends time in, I I thought it was three main settings. It was Mm -hmm. Fort Henderson, Fort Negley, and then you have the characters at Fort Blakely. Blakely, mm -hmm. Um, All three of those were forts that African-Americans or USCT soldiers constructed or had a hand in. Was there a certain series of events or series of locations that you knew you wanted the main characters to go to or to interact with before you ever
2: started writing this book? So Fort Henderson happens to be where Meghan Markle's ancestors served. So there is a book in the mail to Buckingham Palace, right? (laughs) There's not another book except for Peggy Towns' book about Fort Henderson that I know of. It's a very obscure piece of history. Fort Negley, which is, is watershed. I mean, think of Fort Negley as the rock that the... The slaves, as they're evacuating the South, trying to get to the North, they land around this rock. It's the protection. If you're running for your life, where do you wash up? You wash up under the shores of the big guns. So the community of African-Americans was robust there. I needed a bridge from Fort Henderson to Fort Blakely, where my sister-in-law lives. Fort Negley was the bridge, and it was dramatic.
1: Well, and of yeah. course, Fort Negley is an area mm-hmm. that has been, I don't know if controversial is the right word, but it's been an area where there's been a lot of talk of developing and if that area should be, if it should be saved or not. And so is there, is there something you're hoping that can be accomplished as far as what that area could be or should be versus what it is now or versus what they're talking about potentially yeah. turning it into?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I caught it right in the middle and Lynn was leading the charge with her board of, of saving Fort Negron from development, in essence. And my job in that was to write a book, as I really tried to do with Franklin. You know, my hope with Confederate Winter, all the proceeds of that get donated back to the Battlefield Trust. I don't do this for money. I'm It's just really kind of a labor of love. So to me, uh, as we've torn down pizza huts and things like that in Franklin, Fort Negley is at the, at the early part of their journey. Well, my job is, is to tell stories that get people engaged. So I speak to Rotary Clubs and Lions Clubs around Indiana. Well, I, in the geography of living in Indiana, to go to the beaches, everybody drives south through Nashville. And really, Nashville itself has become a hub. So my job is to tell a story that engages people and makes them want to go there. And then once you guys get them on your site, then you create believers out of them. my job is to get you people. I'm a salesman in what I do. And I'm a I'm a uh, evangelical uh, force with my books and my speaking to get people to the Franklin battlefield and to the Fort Navy battlefield, mostly across the upper Midwest. That's mostly who I speak to. But it's 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 all about like like the reconstruction in Franklin. Fort Negley is right on that path.
0: Yeah, no, we always want to try to thank you for getting uh, people to come and and see the battlefield because it is important. People come for, I think, many reasons, and I think reading a book is always a great way to come.
2: So let me give you the future, just so you know. So there's two volumes, Confederate Winter, Freedom Spring. There'll be two volumes for two more years. At the end of the second year, I will publish those together. They will go back to back. So Freedom Spring and Confederate Winter will reverse. They do this in Mount Manga, I think is the name of it, you'll read hmm. Confederate Winter, and you'll flip it over and read Freedom Spring. So you'll get the Confederate point of view from a 14-year-old and the African-American Union soldier perspective. So I think 10 years from now, what I'm trying to compete with is the Red Badge of Courage and Across Five Aprils that were written in the 1900s, and they don't have language that connect with kids today. And I think this is a better platform for the schools. If you're a teacher in school, it's hard to find literature for the Civil War. As much as out there, it's really hard to find stuff that's written currently with modern scholarship.
1: And I think, I think Freedom Spring would have a... It fills an interesting void because I feel like for a lot of people when they picture what a Civil War soldier in general, but even more particularly what a Union Civil War soldier looks like, they don't always picture an African-American Civil War soldier. But by war's end, there was, what, almost 200,000 African-American USCT troops, United States Colored Troops?
2: Absolutely, in in both fronts, you know. and uh, uh, And they went on to you know, great historical um, uh, relevance. So I, I think it is a, I think it's just particularly something that I think, I think our job is to instill stories in, in our youth that they can be proud of. And I think this is a really interesting set that it can be. I don't know that African-American kids get a lot of scholarship on this. I think their history and a lot of times goes to civil rights and they don't understand a lot of times or get a lot on the USC, USCT. That's a, that, you're talking about a brave thing to do. And, and part of the reason that the scholarship is not there is that those guys were, those veterans in, uh, by the 1880s, they, if you were a, a USCT veteran living in Tennessee, your, your days were numbered. They were after you because you were perceived as a leader. And, um, you know, you they, times were pretty hard for those guys. In, a, in, in uh, much harder than the rest.
1: When you were, when you were crafting the character, because your, your prior book, Confederate Winter, is based loosely on the story of an ancestor of yours, but this book, Freedom Spring, the main character, Jim Coffey, is a fictionalized character, but I'm sure he's kind of a combination of real stories. Is there any real character, real historical individual that he's based mostly on, or was it just a combination
2: of a lot of different stories? All amalgam. All amalgam. They, they, the, um, the, the, there, there is a lot of scholarship out there. There is a lot of writing. So, but it's, uh, it's not like we have, we have hundreds and hundreds of letters from individual, uh, Confederate soldiers. We don't get as much from the USCT troops. So, for example, I'll give you a great example. This is where I think me being a soldier, uh, most of my life is, comes into play. So if you don't understand what it's like to be a soldier and all of a sudden you've come out of the field and you've got money in your pocket and you're 20 years old and you are just trying to have a good time. Well, then you don't understand or, or necessarily see the smoky road part of, of freedom spring, but that's the experience of soldiers. They come out of the wood and out of harm's way and the, the, the spaces outside of the garrisons or the, where they discharge, they are machines for taking soldiers' money. Now, that's not a thing that happens just to African-American troops coming out of civil war. It happens to kids coming back from Iraq right now. So I felt that was something that would fit in that novel. And I love Sergeant Nash trying to get them, guys, don't go there. Get up to Fort Negley where you'll be able to keep your money and you build a life. I thought it was powerful.
0: Brad and I were just talking about what we liked about Freedom Spring. One of the things that we mentioned is the ending in the way that it was a very realistic and probable ending that could, you know, that could really happen.
1: Not to spoil, not to spoil it all for the readers, but the fact that it wasn't a happily ever after moment mirrors. Really, what happens after the Civil War?
2: Yeah, it was, uh, you know, and, and I have to be cognizant of my audience. Uh, you know, if you're, you're a 12-year-old, you do sometimes want things right or too far away from that. It wasn't a dark ending. It was actually, I think, both of my books are filled with hope and um, and reconciliation. That, to me, is the, the theme of both of them. But I don't sugarcoat it. And some of the battle scenes, I'm writing with a twelve-year-old reader mind, but that also—it's funny—it fits it sensibilities of a uh, a seventy-year, five-year-old guy who's been reading about the Civil War his whole life. They seem to both fit within my writing style. They both seem to like it. It's not too gruesome, but it doesn't sugarcoat it.
1: So, I guess one of the one of the last things I want to ask is. You have these two books out, and I feel, like they, I feel like they balance what the war was like for a young white Southern boy and for a young man who grew up in slavery. What are you hoping in the end that these books can accomplish?
2: My hope is that these become the... This may sound like a, a big vision, but I think 15 or 20 years from now, maybe long after I'm dead, I think these... Have, these two books have the ability to be a bedrock foundational set of books in understanding the, what most, the, the watershed moment of American history of the American history for schools. My mission is to get these in the school and get those 12 to 14-year-old kids reading this, and I think they'll understand about not only the past, but I think they'll also uh, understand that, that even at 14 years old, they might have a, a part to play in it themselves. That that would be my hope. I, I think they're – I mean, they're small books. These are a couple of small novels about the Civil War, but I think they have a tremendous message in uh, what they can give to kids. I think it's – on the other side of it, I have an, an interview coming out in, uh, in a, a paper in Indiana next Thursday. And one of the things I said was that the other side to the coin is if you're a 75-year-old white guy and you've been reading about the Civil War your whole life and you read Freedom Spring, your eyes open. You read things that you never thought about before. And that's what I want to. I want them to walk a mile in the shoes of an African-American soldier who two weeks ago was a slave. What does that feel like? If I do that, then I've, I've done something.
0: Well, it, you made me open my eyes a little bit when I read it. So you definitely did it for us.
1: I think, I mean, you're, they're very concise. Mm-hmm. We both read them in like three days or so. And I thought they, I thought they did a very good mm-hmm. job of balancing the real history, the story with a compelling narrative. So mm-hmm. I think those are worthy goals. Well, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to sit down and talk yes. to us.
0: Yeah, thank you.
2: Yeah. Great guys. I really appreciate it. I'm an open book on this. If anybody ever wants to contact me, let me know. Uh, I have to work full time. Nobody ma- that I know makes a living uh being an author, but uh, anytime, uh, anytime I can help and, and help me spread the word down there. I, I hope that uh, the, the docents and the, the guides will, will, will uh, read the, the stories and, and help turn people on. To
1: well, I think for I me in particular, the, if anybody asks for, for a kid the age that you're talking about, like young middle school age, I'm probably going to direct them to those yeah, books in yeah. particular. Yeah, and
0: I'm definitely going to start pushing them towards know the schools and the teachers I come in contact with.
2: Sounds great. Any schools that want to buy them, I pretty much sell them at cost. You know, I'm, my goal is to get them out there. This is a 20-year journey for me. Thanks, guys. Love what y'all do. Love the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Kurt.
1: Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to our interview with Kurt.
1: And thanks to Kurt again for sitting down with us. We really appreciate it. If you'd like to support this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe via whatever podcast application you find the most convenient to use. It seems like most people use the Apple Podcasts app. If you subscribe, these episodes will download automatically to your phone every time we release a new one. And if you could leave us a review there, we would also appreciate it. And if you would like to show your support for 10 and 20, we encourage you to purchase one of our t-shirts. They're available at store.boft.org.
0: Or one of our memberships. You can find them in the same place on our website, but that way you'll get the quarterly magazine that Brian and I edit delivered right to your door.
1: Yeah, it's called The Battlefield Dispatch. We covered uh, an article about Francis Watkins Carter, who we did an episode on last week. Uh, we covered a whole bunch of different interesting things and just updates on what we're up to as the Battle of Franklin Trust. So definitely think about that. Also follow us on Instagram at 10in20podcast, tnnin I N two zero Podcast. And we'll post some photographs from this episode and all others.
0: If you would like to reach out to the two of us, email us at podcast at boft, B-O-F-T, dot org. Who knows? One of us just might reply back.
1: Thank you so much for listening.